it's twice in the gospel of Mark that we hear the heavens, we see the heavens opened and we hear God speak directly from them. And these two scenes, as I said, at the beginning of our service are what provide the kind of bookends for the season of, Ep of Epiphany. On the one hand, Jesus' baptism, on the other hand, his transfiguration. At his baptism, Jesus ascends from the waters of the Jordan River and what is depicted is kind of like a new Exodus moment. And God says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus ascends the mountain with his three closest disciples in what is depicted as a sort of kind of new Sinai moment, Exodus 24. And God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Someone once said that to listen is the first act of love. And if that's true, then what we have here on the mountain of transfiguration is a twofold movement of love. The father speaking love for his son and the father drawing us into an act of listening love for his son, speaking love and listening love. And what we have there is this twofold dynamic on the mountain of a revelation of who Jesus is in light of God's love and then how we are invited to relate to him in love. So twice in his gospel, Mark asks us to pause and to consider this voice from heaven, to step back from the ebb and flow and the dynamism of Jesus' daily ministry and the details of our daily life, and to consider that everything Jesus is doing and everything Jesus is saying in the world is arising out of this concrete lived experience of being entirely and wholly and eternally and unconditionally loved by his father. Everything he's doing and saying is coming out of that experience. Now, the implications of this are profound, I think, in a time when we are more aware than other uh, than ever of the effects that our relationships with our fathers have on every aspect of our lives. Before Jesus ever heals or casts out a demon or astonish the astonishes the crowds with his teaching, we are told at his baptism that the father loves him. And before Jesus ever decides to willingly lay down his life in a selfless and sacrificial act of self-giving, we are told that he is loved by his father. The implication being that a sing, not a single word that Jesus speaks and not a single action that Jesus does is an attempt to earn or secure his father's love. It is simply the natural expression of the lived experience of Jesus always already having been loved by his father. This is my son whom I love. And it's out of this place of being loved that Jesus speaks to us. And the Father says, listen to him. Now, it's important that I think we keep this reality of the Father's love for the Son firmly fixed in our hearts and minds as we hear the second half of what the Father says, listen to him. Because Jesus does not speak to us from a place of insecurity or woundedness or anxiety or fear 
or manipulation. He speaks to us from within the experience of being fully alive in the love of another. He doesn't expect experience lack or worry or insecurity. And so what I think that means is that we can trust that what Jesus speaks to us is not motivated by any self-interest or, or, or exterior agenda. It's, it's just motivated by a deep desire for our good in his kingdom. And so I think there are two truths worth considering here this morning. The first is that Jesus does, in fact, speak to us. And the second is that Jesus speaks to us for our good in his kingdom. Jesus is speaking to us, friends. Right here and right now, always and everywhere speaking to us. The book of Hebrews tells us that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. And yet we are told in John chapter 15, he's, John chapter 10, he speaks to each one of us personally calling us by name. And so the question is not, is Jesus actually speaking to me? The question of our lives is, am I listening to him? Am I hearing his voice? And even if I did hear his voice, would I be able to discern it? And so two practical questions are raised for me in this. How do we stay tuned to Jesus' voice in a season where we are surrounded by so many other voices clamoring for our attention? Well, I think our other scripture readings offer us a little bit of wisdom here. I think 1 Kings 19 invites us to return to silence, <laughs> to fast from the clamoring voices of our lives. God's voice comes to Elijah when he's in the cave and asks Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> but God does not feel the need to kind of match the world's shouting. His voice is clearly told, it's clearly told to us, is not found in the wind, it's not found in the earthquake, it's not found in the fire, but it's found in that gentle whisper, or as it's sometimes translated, in that thin silence. Elijah encounters the power of God's voice in silence. I wonder if there's an invitation here for us, in some sense. In a moment where it seems like the news feeds are always overly sensationalized and dramatic, and the pace of life is moving at a, a fast frenzy, and there's a never-ending emotional roller coaster of what's going to come next. There's this invitation to the thin silence. Uh, so one of our friends was telling Susie and, um, uh, the other day that there's this new TV show, I guess, where people are dropped off in the wilderness and they are uh, the, basically the point of the TV show is like, how long can they survive on their own in the wilderness? I, I forget what the name of this is called. But one of the interesting things that our friends was saying is that it's really fascinating to see the reflections and the that people have on life when they are actually taken away from the clamor of the world and are on their own. And it's amazing how certain dynamics and relationships and deep things that, that they have not had to face directly actually come up in their lives and they start having to wrestle with it. There was one man who had to finally face the fact that he's been estranged from his son for a long time. And 
And why is that? I wonder if there's this invitation in silence to, to hear God's voice to us personally in ways that we deeply need in this season. Is there a way maybe this Lent as it comes up where God is inviting you to fast from the clamor and the chatter and simply to pursue him in the thin silence? So returning to silence, I think, is one way in which God invites us to stay tuned to Jesus' voice. And I think the other way is returning to scripture. Feast on the word of God. I mean, we see this in Jesus in the wilderness when he's in the wilderness by himself and he finds himself tempted he, he says, man, humanity shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And you see the Apostle Peter in our, our epistle reading, 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter was there on the mountain when he heard God speak from heaven. He was there. He heard God speak. And yet he still says to us, Turn your attention to the written words of scripture, because in them you will find the words of life, and God speaks there. You will do well to pay attention to the scriptures, says Peter, as to a light shining in a dark place. I've always been so struck by that. Like Peter heard God speak from heaven about his son, and yet he is still astonished that scripture is God's voice and gives us God's light in the midst of the darkness. And so there's a really simple invitation here. This is nothing fancy. Like maybe the invitation to listen to Jesus is just an invitation to return to the written words of Holy Scripture. Are you in a place where you feel the need to relearn the simple joy of following Jesus in hard circumstances? Spend time with the letter to the Philippians. Are you finding yourself in a place where you need assurance that God's kingdom is in fact at work in your life and in the world when it's really hard to see it? Maybe you should spend time with Matthew chapter 13, Jesus' parables about the kingdom. Are you in a place where you need to learn how to hold together God's mercy for both the victim and the oppressor alike? Maybe God's inviting you into the book of Isaiah. Are you in a place where maybe you need to learn how the gospel speaks to communities that are experiencing ethnic hostilities and tensions and, and deep cultural divisions? Maybe you need to spend time with Paul in the book of Galatians and Ephesians and Romans. You see, I, I wonder if this invitation really practically to listen to Jesus, which is what the Father's heartbeat for us. I want you to hear my son. I love him, and he speaks out of a place of assurance of my love and love for you. I want you to hear him. I wonder if that invitation really practically for us is return to silence. And return to the words of Holy Scripture as a light shining in the darkness. As I've been reflecting on this a bit this week, I've been thinking, what might Jesus be speaking to us, to our church family in this season? And some of the passages that I've continually come back to of Jesus is, is this Matthew 16, where Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church in this season. It may be a season of pruning for us. <laughs> we may be experiencing personally a lot of pruning or, or as a church pruning. And that may be painful in a lot of ways. But in Jesus' hands, pruning is always this loving act of preparation for a season of future fruitfulness. I will build my church, says Jesus. And as Jesus speaks these words, there's the image of the parable of the sower and the seed, of him scattering the seeds of the gospel across the land and wanting it to take root in good and fertile soil so that there will be a season of growth, 30, 60, 100 fold in the harvest. And so I wonder if in this season, something that Jesus has been speaking to me is, is do you see this season as a season of endless disappointment and loss? Although there's plenty of that. Or do you seize it as a season of gardening? Where Jesus is at work pruning and planting and tilling the soil and preparing us for fruitfulness in the days to come. Jesus is speaking to us, so listen up, says the Father. That is the first truth worth considering this morning. And the second truth worth considering is that Jesus speaks to us for our good. Now, this is important for us to grasp because in the context that is surrounding the transfiguration, when Jesus says, listen to Jesus, in context, Jesus has just been telling his friends about the costly and cruciform nature of discipleship, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Jesus has just said before the transfiguration, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever would save his life is going to have to lose it. And whoever loses his life, that's going to be the one who ends up saving it. And so the disciples are, are faced with this difficult reality about following Jesus, is that following Jesus is not going to always be the comfortable and safe and easy thing to do. Following Jesus at times is going to be the costly thing. It's going to be the uncomfortable thing. And so we're going to have to trust in those moments that what Jesus says to us in following him is actually for our good. That he knows what he's talking about. That he wants what's best for us. And that the only true safety that will ever outlast the changes and chances of this world is that which we have in the kingdom of God. One of the things I've been wrestling with in my own life over the past year, maybe you have been as well, I don't know, is that instinctive feeling that arises in me um, oftentimes that if something is personally costly and uncomfortable, then it must inherently be wrong or not good. I think we human beings in general struggle with this. Um, sometimes we Americans do as well. We're, we're not naturally good at choosing the costly path. The, the path of limitation or humility or self-sacrifice. And that can be difficult for us.
Jesus he is say, here says, if anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there's this freedom in that is what I'm discovering. Because we end up learning that following Jesus is not about us setting the agenda and setting the standards on what life is about and then inviting Jesus into what we have already set in place. But the freedom of being the Christian is to realize that Jesus is reigning over the entire universe, that he has conquered, that he has won, that he is the almighty sovereign, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, and that none can challenge his authority and his victory and his kingdom. It is coming. It will come. He will make all things new. And the joy and the freedom of the Christian life is just being able to trust Jesus in that. To kind of give up our agendas and to give up having control of our lives. And that's really hard sometimes. That is really hard sometimes. But just to know the freedom that Jesus knows what he is doing. And he speaks to us the words of eternal life. And we don't have to control our lives. We can, in fact, just lose our lives in following him. And because our lives are in his hands, we can have gained everything. This is my son, says the father. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. He speaks from a place of love. He wants your good in the kingdom of God. So get silent. Go back to scripture and hear his voice to you once again. My brothers and sisters, I speak these things to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.